this, like last week on Martin Luther King Day, I was just like doing a very normal thing and I was like walking into my kitchen with plate and I was like precariously holding a plate, a book, and my phone. And um, normal for me. <laughs> and, uh, and then the phone slowly started like tilting off the side of, of my book. And it was like slow motion. You know that feeling where it's just like, is this going to be the drop <laughs> that breaks the phone? And slowly, slowly, and I'm not a very clumsy person. I'm like usually pretty mindful about these sort of things. And what I, what I don't like have in clumsiness, uh, like I make, make up for in like fast reflexes. So I was like, like I'm gonna reach really, really fast for this phone. But, but what happened is that I slapped it even faster <laughs> down to the ground. And it's like I karate chopped it, like pow. <laughs> and, uh, and that was the drop that did my phone in. And uh, a few days followed of me, um, you know, just, just be living the phoneless life, guys. Like, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I think all of us kind of wish we could return to it a little bit, you know, at least when we want to, right? And, you know, necessity called upon me, and I had to return to the phoneless life. And, um, and this, like, beautiful thing happened where I was on BART, and I was looking around, and I was just like, watching all these people and everybody just like was, was like had this crick in their neck you know and it was like me and this really really old guy uh, <laughs> who didn't who weren't doing that and he seriously looked like he could have been like one of the original original settlers of like <laughs> San Francisco it's like he took a break from mining to ride BART or something <laughs> and uh, but eventually I just decided to um, like you know what when do I get to enjoy silence in my life? Not that BART is the most silent place, like the screeching of sounds and stuff. But I just took, took some time with the Lord, and um, uh, I'm really into like improv stuff, like taking improv classes and do like improv piano and all these sorts of things. And, and I was just like, what, what's like improv prayer? <laughs> now, these are the sort of nerdy things I think about. And... And so I just kind of like got kind of uh, on the tip of my brain and I just like turned the sensor off and it was like, like just one word open to another and open to another and it was like a little prayer with the Lord. And guys, when I pray, like improvise, I'm like a freestyle rapper. It's like incredible. <laughs> and prove <laughs> it, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, I, I keep it all inside for now, for now. Um, so, um, but I, I said surprising things uh, in that prayer where it was just uncensored, and, um, and, it, and it felt like, it felt like such a playful time with God, and, um, and I, I just really thank the Lord for that, and a couple days later, Lomas calls me up, and he's like, hey, do you want to preach on silence? And I was just like, perfect, perfect, yes, please, let me add it. And I think, um, yeah, over the last few weeks with uh, Francis and with Ruthie, we've talked about cultivating intimacy with God and, and how to be faithful to him, um, remembering the ways that he's been faithful to us in the past and seeking to know him more and more all the time. 
And we long for that kind of intimacy with God. Like all of us like, who believe in Jesus, we want that kind of love with him. Also, uh, concurrently with that, if you're in a community group, um, we've been putting out material that is a series on practicing the way of Jesus, where we're looking at um, spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines. And um, at our church, this is how we define practices or spiritual disciplines. They are a training in heart, mind, and body in the love of God and others. And, um, and so when we, like, when we pray or fast or take regular rhythms of silence or meditate on scripture, all of these different spiritual practices that are just true to our tradition as Christians, we do it for the sake of developing intimacy with God. Um, and we, we, we participate all of our whole selves in love of God and others. Um, and starting in a few weeks as a church, we're, we're moving in this direction of um, practicing silence together as a church. So if you're in a, com- you're in a community group, we're going to be moving in that direction. What does it mean for us as a community to regularly practice silence? And uh, how, how will we meet God in the way that Jesus met with God by regularly practicing silence? We want to be like Jesus, and one of the ways that we seek to be like Jesus is to do the sort of things, take on the sort of practices that he had in his life. And so today we're talking all about silence. And to talk about silence, like the irony is not lost on me with that. And before I say more words, let's just take a moment to enter into some silence. And the way it's going to work is um, I'll, we'll read together a psalm um, just to center our hearts on the Lord. And then we'll just take a minute of silence. I'll watch the clock. And people will cough and doors will open and chairs will creak and it's all okay. Uh, but let's just center our hearts on the Lord. So would you please read this psalm with me? I'm just going to read through it slowly and then enter into silence. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Amen. Man, I feel like a lightened spirit, like, because of that. 
and I really believe um, if, we, if we look at the life of Christ, as we're going to tonight, we're gonna do like a quick flyover of the life of Christ and look at the ways that silence was part of his life. I think that we find three things to be true. Silence opens us to peace in a chaotic world. Silence humbles us to listen in a noisy world. And silence unites us with God in a lonely world. Just one at a time. Silence opens us to peace in a chaotic world. So Augustine of Hippo, he, he was a North African bishop uh, around 400, and he wrote this book called uh, Confessions, which is one of my favorite books, like quick plug for this ancient book. Um, and in it, he wrote like an extended prayer to the Lord, and this is what he said. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. These are Augustine's word to, words to God. And Augustine articulates what I think all of us know to be deeply true, that there is like a restlessness that we carry about in our lives, and it's just like, what can I connect to? Where can I get some sort of fill? And he identifies that we find rest in God. That is our true resting place. And at the same, at the same time, like we live in very, very uh, like intense lives. There, there's so many uh, things like seemingly, seemingly endlessly vying for our attention. And if it's not some job responsibility, it's an Instagram notification. And if it's not some entrepreneurial idea you have, have like floating around in your head, it's like some memory from the past that seems to like keep haunting you. And there's work, and there's yoga, and there's improv classes, and there's sailing lessons, and concerts, and podcasts, and movies you want to see. And there's news articles you're supposed to read. And, and I know for, for lots of us, like there's that young adult novel that we're reading for the fifth time through. And we just can't, we just can't leave the Potterverse, right? Like we just want to live there. And I'm not trying to say that these things are bad things, not at all. I think these are just part of our daily lives and um, it's an opportunity to potentially just take delight in the Lord and seek him even in those things. But what I'm really asking is these places where we devote our attention, do we really think they're the main thing? Do we think they're the main thing of life? Uh, This man who's really wise, um, he once told me that what gets your attention gets you. So what gets your attention gets you. And he kind of woke me up to like, okay, what am I giving my attention to? Because like, that's what I'm giving myself to over and over again. And, um, and are these things the main thing, the main thing that I care about? And if you're answering like clear conscience, like yes, the things I give myself to, like they are what I want to give myself to. Like, God bless you, wonderful, wonderful. But I imagine a lot of us in this room were kind of a mixed bag, like certain things just like, yes, definitely, I, I want to give myself to this thing, and certain things it's just like, gosh, maybe I should think about that for a second. And that's what we're thinking about right now. Because our restless hearts, they latch onto all different kinds of things, and we keep asking, will this bring me rest? Will this bring, bring me the sort of fulfillment that I'm longing for? And this is where I think silence is so powerful in our lives because silence 
helps refine not just how we interact with God, but also how we engage with the world, with the things that we care about in life. And we see this a lot in the life of Jesus. In the midst of his ministry, and he had like a, a really powerful ministry. He was going, going, going. He was like doing miracles. He was teaching lessons. Like he did a lot. It was his practice to regularly seek silence and solitude with God. And that practice is what grounded him. It was the true source of his inspiration and power. And we see this in Luke 5, 12 through 16. So you can turn there, or it's also going to be on the screen if you want. Luke 5, 12 through 16. And it reads, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In these verses, Jesus instructs the man that he heals to remain silent after experiencing a miracle. And I think it's really interesting that Jesus is just not interested in leveraging his most miraculous and powerful acts for like popularity or power. He's not interested in that. Like Jesus wouldn't have Snapchatted his miracle. He, he may have, like, he wouldn't have even, like, group texted, like, the family thread, right, and said, like, <laughs> like, here, hey, here's what I've been up to, mom and dad, right? Um, he, he has such an aversion to getting a reputation. That's not what he's after. He really wants his actions to speak for himself, and they do. That's the thing that's crazy about it, is that they do. He doesn't need to leverage what he does. Like, the, the actions are speaking louder than words. And, um, and gosh, I need to take a, I need to take I need to learn from this. Like, I, I want to leverage for, like, like uh, you know, my popularity or something all the time, and, like, speaking in front of a crowd of people is not, like, helpful for the sort of temptations that I face with that. Um, but Jesus did not seek the power of reputation. A big miracle just happened, and for whatever reason, people are just flocking to him. They want to get healed. His reputation spreads. And what is Jesus' response two people coming to him, people flocking to him. Crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus does not neglect doing what's good. He doesn't neglect healing people who need healing or bringing instruction to people who need instruction. And he, and he doesn't isolate himself in some sort of like devotional cave where it's just like him and God forever. Like he's on a mission and he knows his mission, but he also knows like where he actually gets the source of his power for his mission. And it is not in uh, doing a lot of stuff or getting a great reputation or any of these things, but it's in his regular rhythm to withdraw and pray that Jesus finds strength and inspiration to seek out that time alone quiet with his heavenly father, praying. 
And this is where he finds his inspiration. And it, I think it struck me this time reading it through um, that these places it describes in the scriptures are, are lonely places for Jesus. So it's not like Jesus is like, I've had it up to here with people, like I'm turning into introvert mode. It's like time to like get some me time. That's not Jesus, what Jesus was up to. Um, no, like Jesus experienced loneliness in these times. And uh, can anyone else relate to that feeling of like quiet feels lonely, right? Quiet feels lonely sometimes. I know that's true for me. And how can it be that a time set aside for connection with a loving God can feel lonely? To get the answer for this, we need to find, um, we need to just like see that it's a lot bigger. There's many, many bigger things going on. One of the ways that we talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices like silence is that we say in a practice, we lead with the body to open the heart to the Spirit of God. We lead with the body to open the heart to the Spirit of God. So with silence, we go to a still and quiet place. You know, I, I shut off the sound all around me. Um, I, like, do my best just to, like, quiet and still myself. And, and wouldn't you know, like, a lot comes up in quiet for us. So maybe some of you in this room, um, like, you, you don't feel like that's, like, a very quiet place. Like, to be in silence, it feels like the silence is deafening, as people say, right? Like, a lot comes up. Because si silence lays our hearts bare before the Lord. It really opens our hearts to the Lord. And the first thing we experience in silence is our restless hearts. Our restless hearts are the first thing we experience in silence. So maybe some of you, when I said silence opens us to peace in a chaotic world, you're just kind of like, no, I experience way more chaos in silence than I do peace. You know, like, what are you talking about? And I get it, and we all think this, like, but what, what I'm asking us to pivot towards and, and just kind of reframe is that when we experience the restlessness of our hearts, this is an opportunity to open to intimacy with God in the midst of our restlessness. We're often too busy to see what's really irking us about our lives or bothering us. Like we're just kind of in execution mode and it's just like I need to, I, I need to like finish work and then go to the grocery store and then like watch a show and then fall asleep, repeat, 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 right? And we don't take the moment and silence actually opens our hearts to what's, you know, what, what's going on. But the tricky thing is if we avoid that opening thing, experiencing our restlessness, we also end up avoiding intimacy with a God who comforts, all right? So if we don't want to open to our restlessness, we also don't end up opening to a God who is our source of rest. Does it make sense? Like, worry and restlessness are means of bonding with God. If we don't bring our issues to God, our problems grow. And we see this in Psalm 32.3, when I kept silent, this is like the bad kind of silence, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. So like if we're not, if we don't speak out about the things that are like problems to us, like if we don't speak those to the Lord, not only do we miss an opportunity to build, build intimacy with God in the midst of our, our hardships, 
find rest in the one who can actually bring us rest, uh, it actually adds to our problems. Our bones waste away. So in silence, we get to escape the hustle of life. We still are, we still are hearts to find that they're not still. And silence, in this way, it's like getting an MRI, I think. We sit there, quiet and still, and then we see what's really going on inside. And then we just get to tell God about it. That's the beauty of it. And, and if, if there's one thing that I really, really, really want you guys to hear, this is the thing, okay? If you enter into silence and you start like experiencing the, the restlessness of your heart and it starts coming to mind and like there's chaos that seems to be entering in, that doesn't mean you're praying wrong. That doesn't mean you're doing silence wrong. It means that you're doing it right. Okay, it means that you're doing it right. You are being quiet enough to hear the worries of your own heart and your heart is actually providing content for your prayers in those moments. So, um, this is a humiliating story about myself. And um, when I was like in my first year of college, 19 years old, so please don't judge me too much for this <laughs> story, I would do um, in my off time in college, I would uh, do speed runs of Super Mario Brothers on the original Nintendo. <laughs> you guys remember the original Nintendo? It was just like this, this gray block, like, and then you'd spend five minutes trying to make the cartridge work, and then you'd get to play. So I would play that, and I would just see how fast I could beat the game. And I did this so much, and I got pretty good at it, if I do say so myself. <laughs> and, um, and yet, it got to this point where it, it was like, if I shut my eyes, I just saw Mario side-scrolling. <laughs> it's really ridiculous. It was, it was excessive. It was absolutely excessive. And I remember meeting with some of the people in the fellowship at my school, and we were talking about prayer. And this guy um, uh, is just like, you know, like what, what happens when you are silent with God? And I was just really honest. I was just like, I mostly think about Mario. <laughs> and then he said, uh, <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, um, I, like, I want to say I'm older and wiser now, but seriously, the same dumb things. Like, I keep repeating them in just different styles these days. But, um, but what this guy told me, he, he just told me, like, um, well, that, then that's what you're supposed to be praying about. <laughs> right? And, and that's where it clicked for me that our hearts provide the content for our prayers right? Um, in that case, it, I, it was my job to pray about my excessive, like, video game playing when I was 19 years old, right? Like, that was what God was bringing to my awareness so that I could tell, tell him about it and see if he wanted to, like, refine me through that. Um, and, uh, yeah, and basically, uh, in opening to God, he just kind of told me to cut it out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's a good wake-up call. Um, so it's important for us not to keep silent to God, uh, silent before God. 
express our hearts, just our honest hearts, whatever they may be, and this is just like a goofy example, but sometimes there's much deeper things that spring into our mind in silence, and all of it is content for our prayers. And, and it's in these honest prayers with the Lord that the magic of relating to God happens. Because it's, it's honest people having an honest conversation about what's actually going on in life. And I think that's, I know that's what I long for. And I think that's what um, God asks of us. When we're honest, there's rest in knowing that God hears us and understands. So by opening our hearts to God in silence, we find peace in a chaotic world, even in the chaos that we carry in our own hearts. Second, silence humbles us to listen in a noisy world. How is this true? So whenever we listen to a noisy world, we are tempted to add to the noise of this world. For example, um, have you ever looked at the comments section on a news story online? It's like, it's the most absurd and noisy thing. Like. Have you ever seen it be tame or civil or like sensical even? Like it's, it's a bunch of nonsense and it's, and it's crazy and it just adds to the noise nonstop. We're bombarded by it. And every opinion is vying for our attention and, and it's kind of like, this is the image that came to mind, like a bunch of business people just like going to work and they all try to get into like, the revolving door at the same time, and they end up like all kind of scrunching in there to the point where it's just clogged up and nobody can get inside, right? That's like the sort of noise that we deal with sometimes as a culture because there's so much sound going on, on, it's hard to even decipher what is worth listening to and what is not. But silence keeps us from contributing to this noise and it refines what it is that we're supposed to be paying attention to. Silence helps us weigh our words as Christ did and use them well as God instructs for the benefit of others. Jesus himself was a listener through and through. He humbled himself to listen. This was foundational to his ministry. In fact, he says that he only speaks what he heard. In John 12, 49 through 50, Jesus says, I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I've spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Listening to God allowed Jesus to say what he was really meant to say, what needed to be said in the moment. And the same can be true of us as we take on this practice of silence and listening to God and his instruction. But I'm, I'm not just interested in this kind of devotional silence. Um, I'm also interested in the social dynamics of silence. And Jesus models this really, really well. Silence gets us to listen. It rips us from our addictions to our own opinions, the sounds of our own voices. And it teaches us to weigh a situation, to take it in and to weigh our words. In John 8, we find the story of a woman caught in adultery and she's taken out to the temple where Jesus was teaching. And the accusers list her wrongs and await for Jesus to respond. They wanted him to pronounce her innocent in a really weird way, because if he found her innocent, then they could say, like, you're not a true rabbi upholding Mosaic law. And Jesus knows this. Jesus is brilliant, right? So what does he say in response to them? Initially, nothing at all. He just starts writing in the dust, 
And eventually they demanded an answer and Jesus breaks his silence and he says, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. He forces the accusers to consider their own sin and slowly he lets them sit in the silence and they slip away one by one until it was just Jesus and the woman left. And it was, I, I like to think of this as Jesus' silent filibuster of the situation. He's just like, you're trying to get me to say something or do something, and I'm just not playing by those rules. Like, like there's no shot clock on this. Like, I, am, I will wait this out, right? And he lastly addressed this woman. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus didn't speak initially. And imagine this for a moment. If you are put in a situation where an angry mob is like pounding at your door and they tell you like, hey, we need you to make the call. Should this woman live or die? Um, what, what kind of resolve would it take not to answer them? not to speak right away. And that's what Jesus does. It's like a high, high stress situation. And Jesus, in the noisiness of the crowd, isn't swayed. And he lives the wisdom Christians are instructed to live by in the book of James, where it says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Jesus was slow to speak and quick to listen. He didn't add noise to a situation. By listening, he could speak decisively into the moment. He didn't want to contribute noise. He wanted, he wanted to be heard in such a way that it would actually affect a change. And it actually, his speech would evoke something in the listener. That's the sort that's the sort of speech that Jesus could only cultivate by holding his tongue occasionally. And Jesus is like a man who speaks up. I mean, people, people flock to him to hear him speak, but his power and his words had to do with his silence. And I think we need help holding our tongues sometimes. There's a lot of pride in speaking our minds. I think culturally, um, you know, like a person who is like really, really vocal is really highly valued. And I'm not saying that we don't speak, like we've got to speak. There's important, important times for us to speak up. But by choosing silence first, it increases our credibility when we speak. We can actually affect the changes in the way that Jesus did. And we don't just add to the noise of the world. So silence quiets us to listen in a noisy world. And lastly, silence unites us with God in a lonely world. I'm pretty sure I don't need to convince any of us that the world's lonely sometimes. Like, all you need to do is think of the last Friday night where nobody called you to hang out. Like, is that like the most lonely place or what? Friday night alone, inside, ugh. I don't like that feeling, guys. I don't like that feeling at all. 
And I guess I could have been the person who called somebody to hang out. <laughs> but, uh, lesson learned, right? So um, loneliness, it's just like a real thing in our lives. And I think it testifies to the way that we're designed for relating to people. Um, we're built to be together. And it could be the longing for friendship or a spouse or a longing for God, whatever it might be. But at the center of it, all of well, the, the least common denominator of all those is a desire to be loved and understood, I think. And this, I, I think, is the, the remarkable thing about Jesus. He does love and he does understand. He experienced the depths of human frailty, even betrayal and death. And it all comes to a head in his passionate crucifixion to endure the cross, to endure that suffering. And here we see a God, here we see our Savior uh, as the one who was silenced. He spoke up in his life and he did marvelous things. And they weren't the kind of things that people wanted to see happen. And eventually those in power chose to shut him up. And so Jesus is the victim of oppression. And he endured it. He, he knew what he was getting himself into. He chose that path for himself. And people violently hated him for it. In Matthew 27, it describes multiple times how Jesus refused to defend himself and rebut his accusers when they accused him of doing wrong in his ministry. It says, when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. And then Jesus takes a beating and he's humiliated and he hangs from the cross, and then I, I think the deepest grief of all occurs when he says, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And imagine what it would be like to develop intimacy with God in profound ways and seek to obediently do his will, to do his work, your entire life, and at the end feel like, God, are you even there? God, are, you're silent right now. And I think this is part of what sometimes prompts us to avoid silence, is actually wondering if God's going to be there at all. Is he going to show up? Is he going to be silent himself? As much as we love him and as much as we seek after him, I think that's like a nagging fear in our hearts. And I really want to speak especially to the people in this room who are experiencing that distance with the Lord or those undergoing um, gosh, intense suffering right now, whatever that might be. These two are, are conversations with God. And we ask him... Uh, 
gosh, sometimes you guys, like, my, my, uh, my prayer life is really contentious with the Lord. And sometimes I, uh, I get really angry at him. And it's like a reverent anger, you know? Like, I, I know him, I trust him, I, I have hope. But man, I, I like, get kind of demanding sometimes. And I think this is the sort of prayer that God invites us into. And I know this is kind of heavy and real. I mean, this isn't freestyle rap praying, right? Like, this is, this is like the guttural feeling of pain in our prayers. And this is a reality that Jesus enters into. In his despairing sacrifice where it seemed like maybe there wasn't hope, we see that there's purpose. It demonstrates that God so loves us that he'll humble himself to the level of excruciating death in order to die for the most sinful, for the most oppressed, for the most despairing. And Jesus can meet us all there experientially, whatever the pain is that you might be experiencing. And he died in order to unite us with him through the presence of the Holy Spirit, the advocate, who has now come in fullest unity through the cross. Jesus says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And now the Holy Spirit um, is our, our constant company if we believe in Jesus. At the, at the very middle of who we are, we are united with God. So that, that deep loneliness isn't the truth anymore. We're united with a God who knows the pain of being silenced, and he was silent for us for a purpose, for the sake of uniting us with him so that we never have to know forsakenness again. We never have to know um, separation from God. And when we join Christ in his silence, in his suffering, we find true unity there at the bottom and it's about like losing it together. Um, if you've ever had a conversation with a friend where it feels like your lives are both going horribly at the same time, isn't there a special kind of bond <laughs> that comes through commiserating? <laughs> it's like we get to meet each other at the bottom, at the depths. I was just telling this story earlier, and um, so every once in a while, one of the tracks that plays on our like welcome music is uh, from my ba favorite band. And I once went to a concert with them, and it was just after I had like broken up with this girl. I was just like in this raw place. And I'm like a pretty sentimental guy, and I just uh, they started singing the lyrics to this song, and it said, "We're all in it together now as we all fall apart." We're swapping little pieces of our broken little hearts. And in that moment, I'm just like, you're with me. Like, you're with me. We're together now. We are together. Like, 
and like the whole crowd singing along. And it, I seriously look back on that, and I, I know these guys aren't like Christian people, but like there was worship in my heart in that moment where, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> where, um, where I, I was just like, oh my gosh, there's, there's bonding that can happen in suffering when we're, we're swapping little pieces of our broken little hearts. And, and the same is true of Jesus. If you're going through hard, hard stuff, to look upon him as our crucified God, to see him in such intense agony and pain, he is a God who understands and even more remarkably, when, we, when he meets us at the bottom, when all hell is broken loose, it seems, he knows the way of resurrection. He knows the way. He's done it before. And it brings new life when we meet Jesus in silent suffering because there we find the God of resurrection. And it's at the depths that he is there. So no matter what kind of loneliness we might experience, no matter how much we think nobody can understand, Jesus is there too. And he knows and he understands and he loves, and he unites us to him. So silence opens us to peace in a chaotic world. It humbles us to listen in a noisy world, and it unites us with God in a lonely world. And if our church really takes on this practice of silence in the style of Jesus, I think we will find intimacy with God the intimacy with God that our souls long for. And our restless hearts will find rest in him. And each of us and our church will be transformed through this practice of silence, through meeting God in this practice of silence, to become people of peace, to become people of humility, and people of unity with God and one another. And this is our hope as we move into practicing silence together as a community. That we would, we would become more and more like Christ by participating in his way of life. Becoming a person who is slow to speak and quick to listen. Who finds peace and intimacy with God in chaotic demands of life. And even in times of suffering, there's no loneliness because we can find Christ there as well. So let's pray. Jesus, you are good and we are thankful that you have modeled for us a way of life that unites us with God. And we want to meet you through silence, Lord, whether that's in playfulness or in challenge or in sadness. Whatever comes to mind, 
whatever our hearts give us to pray, God, we seek you out. We tell these things to you. And not like some cosmic therapist or something like that, but as like the living God who knows and cares and wants to be involved. Sometimes maybe even wants to challenge us. But God, you are good and we trust you. And Lord, make us into this type of people who is peaceful and humble and listens to you, God. We long for that intimacy, God. Please meet us with that intimacy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.